Canada. And so when I flew in, I'm just like, how do you, like, how do you focus? You know, I was like, there's so much to see. And so I'm looking at everything and, and I'm just, and then I, I went on the ferry and I'm like, you know, it's like I need more eyes to, to see, to take it in. And I just thought, my goodness, it is absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. You live in a beautiful place. And, you know, as I was standing at the door, I thought, you know, I'm just going to see see who lives here. I'm just going to meet some of you when you come in. And just the, the love of God. And first of all, just thank you for having us. This is a, thank you for the, to the pastors and just the, the way that you've looked after us. And we're just so blessed and honored to be here. Um, it is a privilege. And so, yeah, I could go on for, for a while. I love the mountains. I love them. And so I'm, I'm not a surfer dude. I don't do that. Um, I've, I've watched them surf. <laughs> But uh, I'm just like, I don't surf. I, I climb mountains. And so when I come here, I'm like, uh, okay, you know, let's, let's focus. But um, yeah, so all of that to say, I am blessed to be here and I'm blessed to be just worshiping Jesus with you. And it is fantastic. So I love this place. And just from the, the, the chances that I've gotten to say hello to a few of you, I'm, I'm blessed. I, the love of Jesus is here and and no doubt that's, uh, that's going to continue. So, again, just thank you for having us. It's great. So, um, all of that to say this. The Holy Spirit is a majestic topic. And that's what we're talking about this weekend. So, I kind of felt that God in his mercy gave me the, the, the backdrop to kind of relate to you how enormous... Um, this task is. And so if I were to talk to you about uh, a tree in the midst of the forest, it, it would be like, okay, it's one tree. Well, that's how I feel. That's how enormous the Holy Spirit is in my mind, at least. Just the topic is so vast. And so what I'm going to try to do is just talk about just a few things. Okay? Is that okay? Because I, I just, that's, it's a lot. And so we've only got three days and uh, we just, I hand out a systematic theology book here, read it. Okay, let's go out and see the beauty. But um, so without further ado, I love stories. How about you? I like stories. I like illustrations. I think they're great. And so that's what I'd like to start off with. Um, And so let me start off with that. When the renowned explorer Fridtjof Nansen started out on his Arctic expedition, he took a carrier pigeon with him. And after two long years of desolation in the Arctic regions, he wrote a message to his wife, tied it to the pigeon's wing, and let it loose to travel 2,000 miles away in Norway. As the tiny bird flew, making that remarkable journey, it finally flew into the lap of Nansen's wife, Eva. She knew by the arrival of the little bird that all was well with her husband, in the dark night of the Arctic North. So it is with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the heavenly dove, 
the disciples of Jesus knew that he was alive and well for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of his power were proofs to that fact. The Bible declares in John 16 and 7, it says this, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Genesis chapter one? Now, we're not going to teach through the entire Bible this weekend, although that would be fun. But I just want to start there. Genesis chapter one. And we're just going to read the first couple of verses. And oh, don't we love the sound of those pages? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Pondering those verses, thinking about those verses, I've come to, I think it's a logical conclusion that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. He is eternal, creative, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Scripture testifies to this end, doesn't it? He is eternal, Hebrews 9 and 14. He is creative, Genesis 1, 2. He is omniscient, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. He is omnipresent, Psalm 139, verse 7, and John 14, 17. And he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, Job 33, verse 4. Someone said that many times we can get trapped into thinking that personhood or being is measured by the physical, the blood, the body, the bones, all of that. That's not what determines personhood. Personhood is determined by three realities. By cognition, volition, and emotion. Or put another way, personhood is determined by intellect, will, and affection. And the Holy Spirit possesses all three. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is one of three persons that make up the triune Godhead. The Bible is explicit as it teaches us that there is one God who is three distinct persons. We commonly refer to that biblical truth as the Trinity. With that in mind, the Holy Spirit doesn't minister alone. For throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the activity of the Trinity in the vicinity of people called Christians. That's what we see. And so the Holy Spirit is mentioned some 300 plus times in the Bible. So to teach about the personality and deity of the Holy Spirit means that I get to talk about his ministry as well. But how many of you know that whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about the author of this book? In essence, you're talking 
about your teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. So I'm talking about my teacher, the Holy Spirit. And so I'm approaching this topic as biblically, as reverently, but yet as enthusiastically as I can. So if I just explode up here, don't, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That said tonight, we are going to be in John chapter 16. Would you turn there? John chapter 16. Now, in order to set the tone for John 16, I'm going to need to back up a little bit and start in John 13. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to paint a panoramic view for all of us here tonight. And so in John chapter 13, in the hours leading up to the betrayal of Jesus, his arrest and his crucifixion, we learn that Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet, after which Judas Iscariot would betray him. And it is a sad scene indeed. Jesus then turns his attention to the remaining 11 and exhorts them to love one another just as he has loved them. The scene intensifies as Jesus declares plainly that he is leaving them and like a flash of lightning, uncertainty enters that small little room. And as everyone is quiet and listening, those words hanging in the air, the concerned voice of Peter breaks in, asking the Lord, where are you going? And after hearing Jesus' answer in bold fashion, Peter declares that though all forsake the Lord, he alone will be faithful to the end. Jesus meets Peter's thinking and his declaration with a reality check. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow three times until or shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Moving from chapter 13 to chapter 14, John records the questions that begin to roll in. We hear from Philip. We hear from Thomas. We hear from an individual named Judas, not Iscariot, whom I believe to be Labius Thaddeus. He's the disciple with three names. And so all of them are wondering what's going to happen next. It's in this chapter, chapter 14, that Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He begins to encourage the disciples to ask anything of the Father. And then he makes them a promise. He says that he will send the Holy Spirit who will indwell them, who will teach them, and who will remind them of the word Jesus. The questions keep rolling in. And finally, in chapter 15, Jesus gives them a word picture of sorts. He talks about vines and branches and vine dressers. And so he helps them to understand some deep spiritual truth that is yet future. The predominant ideas within that word picture are staying connected to Jesus, being fruitful and faithful in obedience and love. He lets them know that in doing so, the eleven will experience a fruitfulness that they have never really known. But they will also experience a deep-seated hatred from the world. It's about to get real. And so, the title of the message tonight is The Personality and Deity of the Holy Spirit 
Would you look down at your Bibles, John 16, and 1. It says this, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I do not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. Or end of judgment of sin because they do not believe me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And we'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, you would open our hearts, open our minds, and open our eyes as we all look through your word. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice the first four verses. Ordinarily, the locations of chapter breaks make good logical sense. The break between chapter 15 and 16 is somewhat unfortunate because those first four verses of chapter 16 really belong in the last part of chapter 15. Looking closely, we see that those first four verses complete the thought of all that Jesus had been talking to them about. Summing it all up, Jesus is saying, in effect, tough times are ahead of all of you. But if you stay connected to me, you will never be without my help. You will never be alone. Even if people are so blind that they think that if they kill you and they're doing good, I'll never leave you. Moving on from there, verses 5 to 7, according to the flow of the narrative that began back in chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples have left that small room and they are now on the move. If you look in your Bible, maybe flip a page over, you'll look at chapter 14, verse 31. It says, arise, let us be going. So they're no longer in the room. They're on the road. They're having this conversation And while Jesus is on the road, he makes a statement. Look down at your Bibles in verse 5. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Well, that appears to be out of harmony with Peter and Thomas's initial question. At first glance, it seems somewhat contradictory. It's not. What's going on here? I believe it is a clear insight into the fear that was resident within the hearts of the disciples. In other words, 
while they were on the road, the disciples were now more sure than ever that Jesus was in fact going to leave them and that persecution would definitely be a large part of their future. I mean, it's one thing to be sitting in a room and talking about things. It's quite another when the master says, it's time to go. Where are we going? We're going exactly to where I said, you know, we're going, I'm going to die. And they're like, oh, wait, this is really happening. Yes, it's really happening. And so that's what's going on there. And because of this realization, they have now ceased asking him, where is he going? And they've become somewhat, I term it, spiritually myopic concerning the future. Meaning they can only see the badness of the situation, not the glorious reality that is about to take place. Listen, the coming of the Holy Spirit is drawing near. And His ministry to the world, to believers and through believers, will bring glory to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful scene. And they're seeing this. They're witnessing it. Notice verses 8 through 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Before we can understand the depth of these verses regarding the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that verb that gives us the English word convict. It is the Greek word eleko. Eleko. One writer said, quote, the Greek verb translated convict has a wide meaning outside the New Testament. Yet the New Testament writers restricted the definition to be understood like this. Showing people their sins and summoning them to repentance. Showing people their sins and summoning them to repentance. All of that to say, the Holy Spirit ministers to the world in three primary areas. Number one, conviction of sin. Number two, conviction of righteousness. And number three, conviction of judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit will deal with people's guilt, with people's helplessness, and with people's destiny. He will do that. And so let's look at the first one, conviction of sin. At this moment, around the world, the Holy Spirit is actively convicting those who are not saved in two areas. In their unwillingness to obey, as well as their inability to obey. To get a biblical picture of this, fast forward from John's Gospel to Pentecost in the book of Acts, don't turn there, just listen to what happens. And this is going to be a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of people. It's Acts 2 and 36. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, men and women, I would suggest to you, this is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like when he convicts people of not believing in Jesus. They are cut to the heart. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when the Holy Spirit spoke to you? And he said, Jesus is God. He said it. And you were like, huh? (laughs) Quick point on that. Only the Holy Spirit can truly convict a person of sin. We cannot. We cannot. We may preach the word of God, which points to Jesus. But listen now, it is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit that points out to a person that they are indeed in open rebellion against God by not believing in Jesus Christ. As Peter was preaching in Acts 2 through the Old Testament, the supernatural conviction of the Holy Spirit was at work and it was in full effect. They knew these scriptures, but under the superintending power of the Spirit, they were cut to the heart. You know, I became a believer fairly young, at the age of 14. And I remember when I became a believer, I was like, I was a wild man. I was a wild boy, I was 14. And I remember I went through my whole neighborhood knocking on doors. They're like, Abraham, what's wrong? I was like, "Ah, listen, I'm not going to set your lawn on fire anymore. I'm not going to throw your cat over. I was like, wait, what am I doing? And I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, I'm a Christian. I was like, do you understand? Do you know Jesus Christ? Slam. I was like, (laughs) repent, you know. And then I went to the next house. And I had my friends and even my mom was wondering whether or not I had lost my mind. And I remember they would watch something on TV that I didn't think was right. I'm 14. And I made a little sign and I was marching around the couch. And it was just like, finally, my, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer when you're a, a wannabe evangelist and you can get grounded by your mother that doesn't know Jesus. So... That's what happened. And so my brother Adam, he was like, what's wrong with you? He goes, you can't make people see things the way that you do. He goes, only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I'm like, you're right. But that was a cool sign. And so we need to know that. Number two, conviction of righteousness. Conviction of righteousness. At this moment, around the world, the ministry of the Holy Spirit testifies to the lost world that only Jesus is the true source of righteousness. I believe it was Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who noted that one of the jewels in this collection of verses was the fact that righteousness was interposed between sin and judgment. This is a powerful observation because the logical result 
of one being found guilty of a crime in a court of law is usually swift judgment and nothing more. You're convicted of sin. You're a sinner. You're judged. We're done. Not so with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, after conviction of sin and prior to judgment, he points to the only place for anyone to find true righteousness. Jesus Christ. That is mercy. Looking down at your Bibles and noticing what it says of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. What does that mean? What's going on there? Who is the only one that could go to heaven on their own merits? Jesus. Jesus. And so think about it. God is convicting of sin. And then he convicts of righteousness. Yes, you are a sinner, he says. And he goes, but there is the way. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And you remember that. You remember that day, don't you? And you got down on your knees, or you sat there in your chair, or you're driving along, and you realize that you couldn't pull it off. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Powerful truth indeed. A quick lesson before we move on. In John 16, the news of the departure of Jesus from the 11, it was sorrowful initially. But that sorrow would fade away when the Holy Spirit arrived, who would be prompting true repentance. He would bring times of refreshing. He would produce righteous living in the hearts of men and women around the world. And someone rightly pointed this out. That humanity's great need is twofold the need for forgiveness, and the need for righteousness. Forgiveness was made possible at the cross. Righteousness was made possible at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. It's a powerful truth. Because humanity has no righteousness in and of themselves, we see that the ministry of the Holy Spirit and pointing to Jesus is truly merciful. Second Corinthians 5 and 21, write it down, look at it later. It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Yahweh to Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. It's powerful, powerful. Third in that lineup, conviction of judgment. At this moment, around the world, the ministry of the Holy Spirit testifies to the fact that there really is such a thing as a final judgment for wrongdoing. Make no mistake. <laughs> no one wants to believe in judgment, let alone final judgment. No one wants to believe that. That mentality was first seen in the devil as he point blank lied to Adam and Eve regarding the judgment that would befall them if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nevertheless, 
They believed him. They believed him. They ate and they were judged just like God said they would be. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. But in spite of all of this, it was the crucifixion of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection that would ultimately make a way for lost humanity to be redeemed, while at the same time sealing the judgment of the devil and his demons and all of those who refuse to trust in Jesus. Only Jesus could do something like that. Of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. For those who refuse to believe in Jesus, a certain eternal torment awaits them. It is the lake of fire. Revelation 20 is explicit. It's sobering truth. And so as we close tonight, would you take a look back at verse 7 with me? Take a look back at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you But if I depart, I will send him to you. In that verse, we see that the ministry, the work, and the personality of the Holy Spirit in the world, as it pertains to these three areas, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, conviction of judgment, has been seen and can still be seen clearly by the world In two places. You. And me. Look down at your Bible again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. You. And then he talks about. Conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, conviction of judgment. We are the channel of the ministry, work, and personality of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where the Jews marveled at the disciples, they took note, didn't they, that they had been with Jesus. This is a crystal clear example of the ministry work and personality of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so, that's God's way. That's what God does. By the power of the Spirit working through human channels like you and me, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are an instrument of the Holy Spirit. Your life, the way you are, the superintending power of the Spirit flowing through your life, people are convicted of sin. 
people are convicted that they need a righteousness, not their own. And people are convicted that there is a judgment through us. Perhaps you came here tonight desiring God to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit. That is a great desire. It's a right desire. I desire that too, desperately. During my preparation for our time together, I was reminded constantly, constantly reminded that God never fills a man or a woman with the Holy Spirit if he doesn't intend to use them to the fullest extent. Who eats a hamburger? Half. Who does that? No. God fills you up. Well, well, I used him halfway. That's good. No. He's going to fill you to overflow. Make a, a Holy Spirit mess, if you please. Pour you out and fill you again. He will use you to the fullest extent. That is exciting. But it's also a bit daunting. Considering the passage we just covered. You're going to be hated. People are going to think that if they kill you, they're doing God a service. Oh yeah, Lord, sign me up. Fill me up. It's like, wait, 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 what? Consider the following as we close it out tonight. Number one, lost people don't like to be informed that they're lost. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Maybe you probably shouldn't do that. Hi, just, you know, letting you know I'm, I'm a Christian. You're lost. Hey, uh, want to go to coffee? <laughs> No, it doesn't work like that. Oh, it's in John chapter 3 and 19, Jesus speaking, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are what? Evil. They don't like it. Persecution is a reality. North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Syria, Sudan, Iraq, Yemen. Persecution is real. In the summer, this summer, July, um, I'll be going to Iraq for two weeks. I felt just the prompting of the Spirit to go. And this is what I said. I said to my wife, um, I believe you, you were at the missions conference. I, I was there too. I didn't get to, to meet you. But I, I was so prompted and so convicted and so, uh, we need to go to the missions conference. And of course, you know, we, we got sick, my wife and I, and our little one, our daughter. I have a five-year-old daughter. We all got sick. And I said, well, you know, it's probably, you know, God doesn't want us to go. And so, <laughs> right, I <laughs> I walk up and I was like, hey, sweetheart, uh, do you think we should go? She goes, we're going. <laughs> okay. So we went. And what a powerful time it was. 
And it had to do with persecution in the Middle East. And I was rocked to the base. And uh, Tom Doyle was speaking there. And he, was, uh, he had his books out. And, and I, I, was, I was sick. But I knew I was supposed to be there. And I was just like, God, what do you want to do? What, why am I here? Why do I feel I need to be here? It's the prompting of the Spirit. And I wanted to buy his books, but I was like, I can't read them. I, I'm sick. I won't remember. So I ordered them. And they, right when we got home, they were there. And I read them both in a week. I just snapped. And then I told all the young adults, you got to read this book. And they're like, what? And I was like, just read it. And they're like, I don't understand. I was like, you, there's a lot you don't understand. Read it. And so one guy, he read it. Actually, a lot of guys read it, but one guy said, hey, I'm supposed to go with you. And I'm like, amen. And so we're going to go there and we're going to see these refugees. We're going to see these people that have been persecuted and we're going to preach the gospel to them. We're going to pray. Even if they don't understand English, we're going to pray for them. And we just felt like we needed to be there and serve along with the children's ministry there so It's fantastic. Persecution is real. Christians are killed every day around the world for the testimony of Jesus. And Jesus, knowing this reality, told the disciples the truth so that when tough times arrived, they would not be made to stumble. Jesus said specifically, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. Stay connected to God. Love one another. This is what the world cannot comprehend saved sinners like you and like me loving God and loving each other even when things get tough they don't get it I understand when everything's going fine and you love each other but when things get difficult how could you do that it's the love of God it's the presence of the spirit I cannot go into it. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Read it tonight. Regarding this type of unity in the midst of difficulty. Number two. The number one function of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. The number one function of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. As we learn tonight, He will do that through you and through me. God the Holy Spirit wants to testify to a God-hating world that God, in fact, loves them. How will he do that? Through you. Through me. Maybe there's some of you here. Perhaps you feel like you've blown it. You say, God the Holy Spirit would never want to fill me because I'm too sinful. I could never be used that way. I could never be used powerfully like that. I'm too sinful. Or perhaps in your mind, your life doesn't amount to much more than faults, failures, and frustrations. You don't have any biblical training. You don't have a good track record at your workplace. Your marriage is in shambles, and the list goes on and on. All the reasons why you can't. The only thing that God can do for me 
is just look at me and have pity. Not so. Not so. God is not done with you. He's not. You get that nonsense out of your head if it's come in lately. You know, I hear many times that people say, well, in my day, I mean, are you not alive anymore? Or, I mean, what's going on? You're what in your day. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> this is your day. You just had a few more than me. As long as you're kicking, it's your day. And this is the day that the Lord has made, right? We will rejoice and be glad in it. God made the days for you. Psalm 139 testifies to that, at that end. Psalm 90 tells us flatly to number our days. The book of Ephesians says we're to redeem the time. If you're here and I see you, you've got time. You've got time. Moses didn't have much either, but he had all of God's power available to him, didn't he? God used a former liar like Abraham. He used a former murderer like Moses. He used a formerly stubborn man like Jonah. He used a formerly scared soul like Gideon. He used a former blaspheming, arrogant Pharisee like Paul. He used a formerly overconfident, proud, big mouthed fisherman like Peter. He can use us. He wants to use us. Listen, he will use us. He will. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. And his ministry is going strong. Look what happened to you. He got you, didn't he? He did not fill you with the Spirit to use you halfway. He filled you with the Spirit and wants to fill you with the Spirit to use you all the way. That's what this weekend is about. Put aside any doubts. Lay down all of your hesitation and stretch out in faith. God, Father, would you fill me? Would you fill me to overflow? And as you live, Lord, I will serve you and fill me again. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for you that you tell us the truth. You convicted us of sin. Some of us many decades ago, some of us a few years ago. You convicted us of sin. But then, Lord, you convicted us of righteousness. He showed us that your son was the source, is the source. You convicted us of judgment. You laid these things out for us, Lord. 
And thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that you were persistent. And so, Lord, we're here. We're here for you, Lord. As you move through this, your body, your sons and daughters, Lord, would you, as you see fit, would you fill, would you touch, would you minister? Oh, Lord, we're just getting started here this weekend, and Father, we pray. Send us out of here, Lord, full of your spirit. Oh, Lord, we bless you. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so, God, we give you the rest of this evening. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?